Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Harmonize with me and hold me tight all through the night. You're shining bright. I'm your oyster, baby. You're my pearl. Hello, humans, we have returned. And why wouldn't we, Dom? You've got a new pair of spectacles. I use them for seeing, but only things that are close. You've got a little bit of a Jarvis Cocker vibe going on, which is cool because Jarvis is a very cool guy, the lead singer of Pulp. If you guys don't know Pulp, they're a band from Sheffield, the north of England. Fantastic band. And he wears glasses like that, and you look handsome. The phone went off there. Let me have a look. I hope it was your phone. It's Jarvis Cocker. Wow, what's the chances? <laughs> what's the chances? He now, says... I want to live like common people. Of course he does. The reason why Billy was reaching for his phone is we've got an amazing piece of news for you. Wait a minute. That's the same as um, League of Legends. Legends. Okay. I'll go backwards. (laughs) We are doing our first ever live Friendship Onion podcast. Billy and I will be attending an Orlando convention at the end of this month. Is it the 28th and 29th? I Dom, was close. It's this Saturday and Sunday. It's this Saturday, Sunday. And this Sunday yeah. in Orlando, Florida. We have the date of this Sunday. This I'm terrible with Sunday, money. which is... 29th? 20... I can't believe you don't know the date. Hold oh, on, I can get into my thing. It, it will be me the... 21st and 22nd. Right. So the 20 Sunday the 22nd. What a day it will be. The first ever, ever. on this planet yeah. or any other. Live. The Friendship Onion. Now what that means for anyone who's attending or potentially checking it out later is that Billy and I will make mistakes but we'll make it look like we were doing them on purpose. Right? <laughs> That's kind of what it is. So you can buy tickets. Billy is currently scrolling through his phone to find out the website where you can buy tickets. And the answer is coming now. It's um, the Comic Con is called MegaCon. MegaCon! It's in Orlando. Florida. And we'll be doing the Friendship Onion on the 26th, uh, 22nd of this month of me. And you can get tickets at Fan Expo HQ. Which is for headquarters. Yeah, headquarters.com. Fanexpohq.com. And you'll find everything there for. Uh, Guys, know. buy your tickets. It's the first Friendship on Your Live podcast. We're going to make it as special as possible. You guys, hopefully, will be able to give us a tongue twister from the audience, maybe a riddle from the audience. We'll be taking questions. Billy we'll and Dom eat the stage. world. Billy and Dom will eat the world. Maybe we'll have the audience we'll help us out with the stories. Guys, there may be questions. There will definitely be answers. Come along. It's going to be an event. And like Billy said, you can get your tickets from that website. And as I said, we might be taking tongue twisters from the audience. And we're going to take a tongue twister now. Are we really? From Marcel. Let's do this very quickly because Marcel said, according to the Guinness Book of Records, the most challenging tongue twister ever created is this. And I'll say it slowly so that we can then say it fast. The sixth, sick, sheeps, sixth, sheeps, sick. So it's not the fifth 
Yeah. It's not the fifth sheik's sheep that's sick. It's the sixth sheik's sheep that's sick. Okay, okay. Three in a row. Am I going first? That's not, you're not going on the stopwatch. Oh, really? You can't be down. Ready? Give me a three, two, one, go. A three, two, one, go. A sick, sick. Right, that's one. <laughs> and three, two, one, go. The sixth, sick, sheeks, sixth, sheeps, sick. The sixth, sick, sheeks, sixth, sheeps, sick. The sixth, sick, sheeks, sixth, sheeps, sick. I didn't know you had to do it three times. Yeah. That was 12.45. 12.45, give me a minute. The give first me. time you did it in four... Oh, 03. Yeah, but I got it wrong. Then 403. No, this is the three times I, I, I did it laps. The first time you said it was four seconds three. Oh, so you got to add them together. Four seconds three. Four seconds 38. That adds to 12.45. 12.45. Okay, 12.45 to beat. There it is on the camera. Billy, I'll give you a three, <clears throat> two, one. Are you ready? Uh-huh. 12.45 to beat. Here we go. In three, two, one. Go. The sixth sick sheiks, sixth sheeps sick. The sixth sick sheiks, sixth sheeps sick. The sixth sick sheiks, sixth steeps. No, Dad! no. And you were going to win it. Yeah, I was going to win it. I was 12.15 and you ruined it. Okay, oh. that's your first go. That's your first go. I'm going to give you a three, two, one go. Oh, are you ready? Things are falling off. Are you ready? Yes. I love that you do it in a posh Scottish accent. Are you ready? Yes. Three, two, one, go. The six. Six. No, no, that was 2.45 and you've ruined it. This is your last go. No pressure. You ready? Yes. Three, two, one, go. The sixth sick sheiks, sixth sheeps sick. The sixth sick sheiks, sixth sheeps sick. The sixth sick sheeps, no! sixth sheeps sick. Oh, you got it I'm wrong. I'm taking now. it. Well, you can take I'm it. I'm taking it. I mean, it's not, it's, in, it's not. It's not, you, you got the time better than mine. Johnny! Mine was 12.45, you got it wrong. I'm with Dom, yeah, uh, you had a mistake in there. I mean, there was a What mis was the mistake? You said, I don't know, but you said something like the six, 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 six. Mm. You want one more go or are you done with it? One more. One more. All right, Billy, one more, you get a do-over, hang on. Here we go, ready? Mm-hmm. In three, two, one, go. The sixth sick sheiks, sixth sheeps sick. The sixth sick sheiks, sixth Sheep's sick. The sixth sick sheep. <laughs> you were going to beat it. I was going to beat it. You were going to beat it by like a second. It was 11.95. But I think, I think we flogged a dead horse there. It was fantastic fun. All right. Dom. Hey, we've well, got a guest God today. Guess. We've got a heck of a guest. We'll see, you we'll see you on Sunday at the live The Friendship Onion. Megacon Orlando, Florida. We'll see you there. Let's and bring on our fantastic guest, Mr. Hill. Very exciting. Tom, here we are. And I'm very, very excited because this week we have got the fantastic Will Wheaton. I know everybody's got to be excited about that. Me uh, included. Yeah. What's up, Will? Uh, I have to tell you, I'm actually excited about this. I told my wife that I was coming to do a podcast with the two of you, and uh, we kind of nerded out a little bit about it. We were both really excited, so I'm super thrilled to be here. Well, would it would it be fair to say, similar to Billy and I, would it be fair to say that you're a kind of card-carrying nerd geek, Will? Would that be accurate? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would go so far as to label myself an ur-geek. What is that? Uh, 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 sort of the... Uh, uh, one of, uh, I, I come from uh, 
like if the original geek was sort of pulled off of the heel of a Greek god or something like that and then planted on Earth, I'm part of the group of people that kind of grew up just like really close to the feet of whoever that person was. Um, So like uh, as far as modern nerds go, I think that I've been there for a really, really long time, like before Star Wars. And and what in particular would be in the kind of top, you know, four or five geek things that you're into? So, like, little kid me uh, was so into Star Trek, massively into Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica, um, and and this this show, this paranormal investigation show from the '70s called In Search of that Leonard Nimoy hosted. Uh, it was sort of this like. It was the proto show for all those awful um, like like reality shows that are on uh, Discovery Channel right now. But when I was a kid, I was like, Bigfoot, that's amazing. And that sort of inspired me to really just allow my imagination to go crazy. And uh, that inspired me to be a nerd for gaming and a nerd for science fiction and a nerd for fantasy. I've given I've <clears throat> I've. I have been quoted from a speech I gave where I said that being a nerd is not about what you love. It's about the way that you love it. That like incredible enthusiasm we have for things and we cannot wait to find other people who like the same thing to like super nerd out about it with. Yeah, yeah. That's that thing that really makes us giant nerds. So like at the moment, I'm massively nerdy for uh, 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 classic arcade games. Um, I, I, I am I am just... I, I am I'm obsessed with uh, these YouTube channels that do deep dives into taking apart alternate reality games and describing uh, uh, like just real weird um, uh, YouTube creators who are doing this thing called analog horror. I'm super into that right now. Really? Um, yeah, and it's exactly the same way that I was like into running around in my Mr. Spock costume when I was a little kid. Well, Billy, Billy and I just went to a convention this weekend. We just got back from it about uh, three hours ago. And Billy had drawn a still image from the 1980s game Defender. And yes. he, had, he had said to anyone that showed up to have him sign something, if you can guess what this game is, you win a prize. And no one over the weekend guessed the game. No way. So was it one of the eight bit pieces, like the lander or the ship or something? Or was it the cabinet art? I act, I drew it with a pen and paper yeah. through my memory. I just yeah. drew the little mountains, you know, Defender. I and know I exactly. drew the little ship. And I was yep. I was surprised. I thought everybody would get that one. Yeah. Some, I sometimes do it because Atari was my uh, gaming, like, of choice when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, so, like, we, me and Dom play some games now, uh-huh. but... Um, Atari was. I went. I went to a pub once, and they'd they'd set up all these Atari systems, and I was like, I will beat anyone in this pub at any game, and I pretty much did. My whole childhood was sitting playing that Atari with that stick. What you got back there is that um, Donkey Kong. Behind me is uh, an uh, a, it's like a cabinet. It's a uh, what do you call it? A, a countertop like a bar top sized emulator machine. Uh, it has a bunch of different games in it. I think it has like, probably has just a little under a hundred games in it, but the ones that I play over and over and over again are Donkey Kong and Mr. Do. I just play them absolutely to death. Uh, I have Defender over there behind behind the, the laptop where I am now. I do have Defender over there. Um, and I'm, 
I am still as incompetent at it as I was as a little kid. Just that wall of buttons was so incredibly intimidating for me. But I think it's really, it's, it's super amusing to me that you drew Defender because um, the sound that my phone makes when I get a text alert from my son is the sound that Defender makes when a lander picks up a human. That little oh, chirping yeah, noise yeah. that lands down and picks it up and takes it away. I found it online somewhere and I thought, oh, that's going to be Ryan's text tone. <laughs> so I made that's, that for him. That's cool. Now, I've- You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You completed Donkey Kong because Donkey Kong is consistently thought of as being one of the most difficult games ever invented, right? Yeah, um... Uh, I haven't. I um, I am. I'm working on it. Nice. Um, it, the thing, it, this is a thing that I'm like. This has become a legitimate hobby for me. This is an actual thing that I'm actually trying to do. So imagine that there's a person who just wants to like really knock strokes off their golf game, I guess, and get yeah. really good at it. So you know, read the books, watch the videos, practice, practice, practice. I'm doing that with Donkey Kong in in with the goal of eventually getting to the kill screen. Uh, and and I don't I don't have any illusions about getting one of those million point scores like those guys do. Right, the um, King of Kong guys. Yeah, but I've gotten through the level four elevators pretty consistently now, which is sort of the level of Donkey Kong that really blocks uh, people when they're when they're like going when they're making the move from what the people in the Donkey Kong world sort of define as like moving from kind of like casual Donkey Kong players. Right. To be like a serious Donkey Kong player, right. uh, but it's been it's been incredibly fun. When I was a little boy, um, I spent the weekends at my great aunt's house, and uh, my cousin had an actual physical Donkey Kong machine in 1982. Whoa! And uh, his 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 dad had bought it for him, and he had different ROM sets so he could take it out and we could play Donkey Kong. Then we could play Donkey Kong Junior. Then we could play Popeye, and we played these games. All the time, Jack and I, like we just played them for for entire weekends and I never got especially good at it. I never really understood it. So I thought I'm going to actually learn how to play Donkey Kong. I'm going to learn how to play it the way uh, a person learns this game rather than being a 50 year old playing it the way I did when I was 10. And that has been, I cannot tell you how incredibly satisfying that has been, how fun it's been. And Maybe there's like an actual Donkey Kong machine in my future that I might buy myself as a reward for, you know, accomplishing some kind of big deadline or something like that. Since starting to incorporate Magic Spoon into my daily morning routine, I've noticed fewer cravings throughout the day and more energy to hold me over until lunch. I've been drinking protein shakes and powders for years, but found a delicious way to get my protein before and after workouts, Magic Spoon cereal. Dom, let me give you some facts about Magic Spoon cereal. Mm. 
13 to 14 grams of protein and only 4 net grams of carbs in each serving. By the way, Dom, the honey nut flavour has 1 gram of sugar. Only 140 calories a serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and it's low-carb. Build your own box, Dom. Available flavours to build your very own custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, cookies and cream, maple waffle, blueberry, cinnamon, plus the newly reformulated honey nut flavour that will be added to Magic Spoon's permanent collection. Yeah, they brought it back because it's so tasty. Mm. And my personal favourite flavour is the peanut butter. So go to magicspoon.com slash onion to grab a custom bundle of cereal and be sure to use our promo code onion at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their products, it's back with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash onion and use the code onion to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Attention listeners, are you ready to be blown away? You asked for it and they listened. Our friends at Manscaped just relaunched the Ultra Smooth Package. It's back, baby! Your new favorite tool and complement to the Lawn Mower 4.0 to keep your boys smooth while looking and feeling their best. The specialized groin shaving kit is here to help you buff, protect, and shave your most sensitive areas. It's time to crop that bush of yours and get right to the roots with a discount just for you from Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with the code onion. Right, these legends at Manscaped are bringing the razor back, so you no longer have to borrow your lady's razor for those precise trims. Here's the steps, Dom. Okay. Step one, grab your handy lawnmower four, give the boys a classic trim to your liking, get all the loose hairs out of the way. Step two, crop exfoliator. Now, this is a good exfoliation, keep you refreshed. It, it will, it'll reduce the risk of ingrown hairs in your delicate places. Right. Step three, crop gel. Now, this is lovely. Essential oils, it's like a spa treatment every time you shave. Lovely. Step four, it's time to shave. And this is when you use the crop shaver, designed for shaving your private places. Now, these three precision blades, extra-wide lubricating strips, and pivoting head makes it a fantastic experience. All three of these vegan, cruelty-free, and sulfate-free products are introduced so that you know your manhood is in good hands and without compromise. It's time to get up close and personal with the best tools for the job, the ultra-smooth package from Manscaped. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code ONION at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code ONION at manscaped.com. Smooth out your fellas with the relaunched Ultra Smooth Package from the fellas at Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Since it's so uh, it's so front row center in, in the image that we're seeing, if you will, let's talk about this bookcase you have behind you because it is color-coded. It is intentionally yeah. color-coded. Just, just give us a little overview of what, what we're looking at there. Um, I am a lifelong tabletop gaming nerd. It is one of my absolute favorite things. I've been doing it my entire life. Um, and uh, about 10 years ago, Felicia Day and I co-created a, a gaming series on YouTube together called Tabletop, where we had our interesting friends from the entertainment industry and from the YouTube space come to our studio and play tabletop board games with us. And uh, as uh, the show ran for, for a number of seasons, it was uh, beloved by the audience. Um, I think that we can, we can really honestly and truthfully 
um, uh, say that we helped really change the gaming industry and we really helped, I think we really helped popularize the tabletop gaming hobby and as far as like bringing it into the mainstream where it is right now. And while I worked on that show, uh, I just acquired games at a rate that um, still astonishes me. And um, like, I'm not, I will always be the little kid who just is, cannot believe that I have like a library of amazing science fiction books. I have a library of role-playing game books. And on the shelf behind me, I have, that represents about a third of my total game library. The other third is over here off camera. And then the final third lives at my friend's game shop where I have it in their library that they lend to people to just come in and play um, uh, just you know, for, uh, for the social aspect of gaming. And it's color coordinated because um, I tried it alphabetized. I tried it by like style of game. I tried it by game mechanic. Like I did all that dumb stuff that you do. You know, it's like, how am I going to figure this out? And a friend of mine does her bookcase this way. And I just thought that looks so beautiful. Yeah, it's so cool. And I'll get out of the way so you can see. Like, oh, it gets it, to, it goes from like red to blue on that side, and then yeah, that side over there, that side of the room is a mess. Um, but that side it goes black to white with like kind of the grays in the middle. Um, nice, really cool. It's, just a, it's one of those things that. And what I love about it is I've been sitting here doing tons of press for this book, and nearly every single journalist I talk to is like, okay, the interview's over. Can we talk about your games for a minute, please? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I recently played, I'd never played it before, I recently played the game, uh, the tabletop game, Labyrinth. Do you know Labyrinth? Oh, so much fun, yeah. Dude, I'd never played it before. It seems simple when you start it, but it actually becomes relatively complicated because all of the pieces are being moved by different players. But I went to Yosemite with some friends and my, and my mm -hmm. pal June was like, hey, Let's see what you think about this game. And I was like, I'm going to go buy that from Amazon immediately. I thought it was so much fun. That's great. We took our kids up to uh, up to the Lake Louise Chateau a number of years ago up in Canada, up in Alberta, uh, in the dead of winter. And it was amazing. It was below freezing every day and just like the kind of weather where you want to sit inside around the fireplace. And we spent the entire vacation playing Sushi Go and Ticket to Ride. Uh, the whole family, just the entire time. Um, uh, I love that. I love when I can have, there's games that I like just objectively, but I love when that game for one reason or another became part of a special event. So it kind of, now that game has a special memory attached to it. Yeah. Um, and Sushi Go is really that game for me. I don't know Sushi Go. It's real fun. It's, you know, those conveyor belt sushi restaurants. So the yeah, game yeah. is sort of, the game imagines that you're in that conveyor belt sushi restaurant and everyone's trying to like kind of build their best meal. And the way it works is if we're all sitting around the table, we have a little group of cards in our hands. We keep one and pass it to the left. And we just do that all the way around. And we're trying to collect sets of cards to score. And we're also trying to prevent the other players from collecting sets of cards to score. So you're right. sort of like playing this solo game in front of you. You're really playing a game with the people on either side of you. But then you're also kind of involved with everybody around the table. Um, I've made it sound way more complicated than it is. It's a game that... We could sit down, I could deal out a hand of cards, and two rounds later, you would absolutely see the game and we could play all the way through. If me, if me and Dom walked into your house just now and yeah. we said, okay, let's play a game, you've got five minutes to choose it, what game would we play? There's only the three of us. All right, your wife as well, four of us. Okay, Anne is home, so Anne would want to play with us as well. So we could go for a, a co-op. We could go for a big co-op game uh, like Pandemic or... Uh, uh, like Shadows Over Camelot, or we could go for some, we would. I would probably recommend something kind of light and social, 
where the game gets out of the way and lets us hang out. So the game is right. fun and it occupies us, but it gets out of the way and lets us have a good time. So for that, I would take a real social game uh, like Settlers of Catan, probably the Star Trek edition, because that's my favorite edition of it. Or um, uh, or one of the Ticket to Ride uh, games. There are some that are specifically for four players, so they play right. in, a, in a particularly satisfying way like that. But yeah, I would definitely go for like a lighter game or maybe a game like Quirkle where you're just laying down tiles and sort of like creating patterns and things like that. Something like I could teach you any any of those games. I could teach them to you in less time than it has taken me to tell you what games we would be playing. <laughs> I liked it. But as you were telling us, it, it was like it was like a, a wine expert talking about what wine you should have with food. But we're oh, talking about. You. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I know what that means, and that actually really means a lot to me. I really appreciate that. Oh, um, great. Uh, when, when people say, what games should we play, I always want to find out, well, what games do you already like? Yeah. What themes do you already like? And are you looking for something that is intensely strategic, that's going to be real intellectually challenging? Uh-huh. Or are you yeah. looking for something a bit more on the social side that's kind of, we're hanging out, it's not super competitive, and if... Uh, and, and we're not playing for the score, right? We're playing for the social experience of it. Right. Um, and there are some games that just, no matter how light you try to make them, it's just not possible. <laughs> they absolutely do not support that kind of gaming. Well, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of fantasy. I've always, I've always been drawn towards fantasy literature, fantasy books, fantasy TV, yeah. fantasy films. I played Dungeons and Dragons. I played World of Warcraft. I convinced Billy to play League of Legends, and he plays it as much as I do now, and we've been playing it Amazing. for a couple of years. I think that what what I loved about Dungeons and Dragons, what I continue to love about Dungeons and Dragons, is it is so immersive, and there is a lot going on, and the world can be absolutely massive. I have always been trying to look for almost like diet Dungeons and Dragons, maybe something that you could play and finish over a night with some friends, like you said, a little socially thing. Is there something that comes yeah. to mind from there, Will? Yeah, there are absolutely role-playing systems that support just, in, in role-playing lingo, we call it a one-shot, just sort of like where we just sit down, we play a thing, and then it's over. It's a self-contained story. Yeah, it's yeah. You can do it with D&D, but you have to design it yourself, which yeah. the game absolutely supports. Yeah. Uh, it would be something like, we're going to go raid a tomb. Um, it would be more of a dungeon crawl than a story where we have to maybe solve some puzzles and, and, and save a village. This is like, we got to go get the treasure or kill the dragon or something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, so that you can absolutely do that with the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. But one of my absolute favorite all-time role-playing games is a storytelling, there are two storytelling role-playing games where it's less about like, what did I do with these dice and what did I do with my like attack rolls and more about What's happening with this character I've made up? What's happening in this story that we're telling? The first one is a game called Fiasco. The idea in Fiasco is you're all working around. There's It plays best with four people, and you're working together to tell a story. You all know what the story is generally going to be. We did this on Tabletop. We, had a, we did an episode of Fiasco that was set in a disco in 1978. So right away, you know what kind of story it is. You get that like dirty Manhattan feeling of the late 70s, that kind of like mean streets feeling. And then the way this the, the game goes, it's going to end badly for everyone. It's like a Coen Brothers movie as a game. So no matter what happens, no matter how much you tell the story, bad stuff's happening to your characters. And it's immensely satisfying to find out what's going to happen. And the game gives you a structure, a framework 
to to creatively narrate what's going on. Um, you don't move figures around at all like you do in some versions of D&D. There's another role-playing system called Dread, and we did another episode of Tabletop about Dread. Dread is a horror RPG, and the idea that the creator uh, uh, brought to the design process was to create a game that would give the players that visceral sense of dread and fear and like, I don't want to open the door, but I have to, that would kind of go on in a horror movie. And the way dread works is when you are, you there's a game master who's working the players through the story. And whenever one of the players wants to try something difficult, or if they are challenged by something that is frightening or supernatural in the middle of the table, is a tower built out of Jenga blocks. You know the game Jenga, the balancing game? So um, every time you're going to do something dangerous, you have to pull a block out of the Jenga block and stack it back on top. So you're also playing Jenga while you're telling the story. At some point, something horrific happens to your character and you go to that tower and the tower just collapses. So as you get deeper into the adventure and the stakes get higher and higher, the tower gets more and more unstable and that sense of dread gets more and more just visceral. Uh, and when the tower falls, you're dead. Like that's your character is dead. You rebuild the tower and you keep telling the story. Those are two really great ways that you can do that kind of like light idea that you're talking about where we don't have to get together every week for seven months to tell a massive story. Like we can absolutely do that and it's really, really fun. But if you want just a quick one evening kind of thing, those are a couple of systems that really support that by specific design. Amazing, Will. Hey, it's so cool to hear someone talk with so much passion about anything, but it's amazing to you talk about games, man. It's really, really fun. It is one of my absolute favorite things in the world. I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. Dom plays, and uh, he's always trying to get me to play. And we think we've found a way to do it because someone was telling us that there is a, a Star Trek version. Uh, or there's a few, but they said there's a very good Star Trek one. And I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Oh, no way. I didn't know that. That's cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited to meet you. Um, is this the moment in this exchange where I just where I just vomit on you about how much I love your work? Is that is this is this an yeah, appropriate this is, for that to happen? No, mine is going your way just now. Okay, <laughs> cool. So uh, I feel like it is appropriate for me uh, just to let that out. I'm really excited. I um, uh, uh, I've enjoyed your work a lot, and and actually, um, uh, Dom, we were in a green room together at Comic Con years ago. You don't know because you didn't see me. I know this because I was watching you, which sounds creepier than it is. Um, <laughs> we, were at a, we were in a green room, and I was getting ready to go do a panel for the guild, and I see across the room, holy shit, that's the guy from Lord of the Rings. Oh, my God. And I'm, like, trying so hard to keep it cool and, and like, not, not, be, not, not be weird and not get in your space. Like, I knew how much attention you were getting then, and I know what that feels like. So I was like, I'm not going to be that. And you started to walk toward the door. You were in a really good-looking suit. Like, you just, you were, like, really well put together, right? And you're walking toward the door. I'm like, he's going to get mobbed. And out of the pocket of your suit comes this mask, like a Halloween mask. And you pull this Halloween mask over your head and disappeared into the crowd. And nobody looked twice at you. So I am relating this story to my friend Seth Green, who I've known since we were kids. Right. Seth is as big a nerd as any of us. Action figure nerd, collector nerd, massive comic book nerd. Yes. Seth goes yes. to Comic-Con 
to get the collectibles and do all of those things. And I was like, you are never going to believe what I saw. I can't believe I'm not doing this. This is such a good idea. You put a mask on and nobody can see you. And Seth looks at me and he goes, well, everybody does that. That's what we all do. This is how we go to Comic Con. And I was like, I've been walking around with my dumb face out the whole time. And I didn't even, it never occurred to me. So on that day, I was walking back to the hotel from the floor and it was, the guild was really big at that time and tabletop was really big at that time. So like um, uh, uh, people were kind of like pointing at me and I was getting stopped a lot. And I, uh, I just started to feel a little overwhelmed. So I walked past a booth that was selling gigantic foam rubber mustaches with like uh, uh, elastic. Right. So I got this. I said to my wife, I'm going to test the Clark Kent theory. The Clark Kent theory is if you put on glasses, everybody looks at you and thinks, that guy looks so much like Superman, but there's no way that guy's Superman. So, and you just go on with your day. So I put this giant fake mustache on to see if it would work. It 100% was perfect. I walked the rest of the entire floor of Comic-Con all the way across San Diego to my hotel. Not another person gave me a second look. The only thing I had changed is I put a big fake mustache on. I so that. I learned an extremely important lesson that day just from being in the same room as you. Oh, well, that's cool, man. You should have come over and, and said hello, but we don't get that moment again. We get this moment now, which is a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be all up in your business next time we're at a con together. You're going to really regret that. Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal kit company. Green Chef makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals. Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences. Ooh, with fresh produce, premium proteins, and organic ingredients you can trust, Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. And Green Chef saves you time by cutting down all that weekly meal planning, prepping, and grocery shopping. There's no waste. That's one of my yeah. favorite things about it. With Green Chef, you're reducing your food waste by at least 25% versus grocery shopping, according to the HelloFresh Global Food Waste Study. Green Chef's expert chefs curate every recipe so you can enjoy restaurant-quality dishes at home without compromising on taste. It's absolutely true. So go to greenchef.com slash onion130 and use the code onion130 to get $130 off, plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash onion130 and use code onion130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Dom, I love it. I love getting that box with all the recipes and all the food already and those little bags and you've got the right amount so you don't end up buying five onions and you only use one onion. Ooh. It's all perfect. And I think of it as a little game Ooh. because I'm cutting this stuff up. I'm trying to make the best meal that I can. Great. I love it. I'm going to see a friend on uh, Friday night and I'm taking my little green chef bag with me and I'll be cooking for my friend over there. You can travel with it as well. The number one meal kit for eating well. Green chef. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like having a first aid kit but not keeping it stocked up. Most of the time you'll probably be fine. But what if you suddenly get into an accident and there's nothing in your first aid kit to help you stop the bleeding? Every time you connect to an unencrypted network, whether you're in a cafe, mm. hotel, airport, doesn't matter. Hackers can get on that same network and get your personal data, mm. your passwords, your financial details. You don't want that, Tom. It doesn't take much technical knowledge to hack someone. Just some cheap hardware is needed. 
A smart 12-year-old could do it. Mm, yeah, absolutely could. Your data is valuable. Mm. Hackers can make up to $1,000 per person selling personal info on the dark web. Crazy. What I like the most about ExpressVPN, mm -hmm. you know I'm not very good on a computer. No. It's one click. You get the app, you get yourself ready to use ExpressVPN, press the button, turns green, done. It's brilliant, Dom. And I'll, I've been traveling a lot lately. Mm -hmm. And when you're in these airports and you're clicking on, you've got to remember, if you don't use ExpressVPN, anyone can get your details. Mm, so secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash onion. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash onion. And you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash onion. And I, I'm sure Billy would be remiss if he didn't get into some sort of Star Trek thing with you because it's an underestimation to say that Billy is a Star Trek fan. He's a big fan of that show. Do you have a particular timeline or, or show or universe that that like you really that like that's you consider yours? The next generation. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. It's just it's I I I, I always go back to it. It's brilliant. I, I mean I love I love all of them really for different reasons. Sure, me but too. I think I think the next generation just for me, whatever age I saw it, it just nailed it for me. And to be part of that, what well, I mean, you were already a Star Trek fan. So how does that feel? I mean, what, what, what how did it happen? What was the, was there a phone call? There were, I, I went through auditions. Right. Um, uh, I, 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 it was a long audition process and I had to test for the network and, uh -huh. and, and it was a whole thing. When it actually happened, when it was real and I got to go stand on the Enterprise for the first time. I, I was 15. I had watched the original Star Trek my whole life. Yeah. Uh, I, I owned all the technical manuals, all the like fan created unofficial <laughs> technical manuals you'd get at comic book conventions. I had every single one of them. Um, I had a, a Mr. Spock uniform shirt. Uh, uh, that I, uh, that I had made from a t-shirt and an iron on Star Trek patch. Like I loved it so much. And I, I don't know how to describe the feeling of going into stage nine and walking down the corridor into engineering and like, there's the engine, you know, yeah, like there's yeah. the warp core, like it's right there and the lights are on and it's not making the noise, but like, it may as well be real. Yeah. And I just stood there and I was just a kid. So I didn't do what I do now, which is let's really take this in and build some memories and place. Yeah. Let me put down some stakes here so I can come back mm -hmm. over time. Being in there, I just thought this is like, it's never going to be better than this. Ooh. I cannot yeah. believe that I get to do this. And then the first time I got to go into the transporter room and stand on the transporter pad and get transported. I mean, you know, practically, you stand there, they count to five, you step away, they count to five, that's it. Don't tell us that. <laughs> but when you're a two-year-old Star Trek nerd and you stand there, you know, it's a big deal. When I, when, when I got to invent canonically how the Enterprise D is sent to warp speed. There's a specific series of key commands on that ops panel, on the con panel, that I invented. And that is canonically how it goes to warp speed. Like, when I stop to think about that, 
that, is, <laughs> that I got to do that? That love, that's going to be like, that. just, that's there forever? It's, you know, like I just get overwhelmed with excitement and I feel like I'm just going to sob with gratitude. Yeah. And that's it's great to hear, Will, because, you know, too many uh, actors and, you know, try to be cool about things. And some things are just super cool and you've just got to see it. You've just got to say, I was on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. I was there acting with these guys. I mean, that is just just wonderful. I applaud you for that. There's just something so incredibly special and valuable and memorable uh, about working on a piece of art like, like we've had the opportunity to do yeah. with genuinely wonderful people mm-hmm. who genuinely become bonded to us in ways that are as close to family as I think we can get. I mean, the, 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 the eight of us from next generation talk almost every day. Um, uh, I, I don't, I don't have any, my, my biological parents, I have no contact with, I have no relationship with them. And when I need a mom and dad, I text my cast and ask them if like, will you be my mom and dad right now? I want to like, I have really good news to share and I want mm-hmm. you to, will you do that for me? And they always show up. Mm-hmm. I've known Sean Astin since we were kids and I asked him, did you guys get that? You know, like, did you get to have that bond? Cause what a bummer if you didn't. And just like, I know the closeness that you all developed and yeah. that you get to carry that forward. And it really is, it really is a gift. And, um, in my role as the host of the Ready Room right now, which is the the online hub for the entire Star Trek universe, and it's kind of like I do after shows for every Star Trek series. I get this I get this amazing privilege of talking to actors from every different Star Trek series right now, and I'm older than most of them. And the ones that are Star Trek fans grew up watching my Star Trek. So they talk about how excited they are to meet this guy that was this kid, and I get this privilege to tell them because I used to be you, even for a minute in my own way, let me just tell you a couple of things, if you'll hear them, that uh, some of the original series cast members, let me share with you some of them. I want to pay forward some of George Takei's kindness. I want to, I want to like pay forward some of Walter Koenig's humor and, and just talk to you a little bit about what I know your next 20 years are like if you choose for them to be this way. Uh-huh. And overwhelmingly, they're like, oh, my God, please tell me. Yeah, and yeah, to yeah. see the joy and excitement of—I've been interviewing the cast of Strange New Worlds, and they're all new to Star Trek. And when I when I talk to them, I got to be really careful that I don't inadvertently break my contract and spoil things. <laughs> when, I, when, when I talk to them about, you know, I'm talking to some of these actors who are bringing themselves and and their interpretations to legacy Star Trek characters, right? Celia Rose Gooding plays. Uhura, but as a cadet, like who like hasn't like isn't fully in Starfleet yet. So she has a whole different take on the character. And I was like, so do you know what all this means? And I watched her just light up and talk about what it means and how excited she is about it. And then she was like, and I gotta tell you, like, what a giant fan of Wesley I was. And I was just like, oh my god, I can't believe any of this is real and like any of this is happening. And it's just awesome to get to have these wonderful conversations with people. And just like, there were people when I was, when I was growing up who were like, buddy, be grateful and love this. Don't take any of it for granted. And 
I wasn't able to listen to all of them because of all the trauma I had lived through and everything I was going through um, at home. And now I have a chance to be the person to, 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 to younger people today uh, uh, that who was there for me, who I wasn't able to listen to when I was then. And it's awesome. Ooh. Yeah. It's, it's funny that, isn't it? It happens a lot. You, you see that where people kind of wish they could go back to that moment because they didn't quite live in the moment of that time. I remember it was one of the guys in a big, big uh, pop group in Britain, Take That. Who, oh, yeah, know, sure. Well, Take yeah. That were huge in Britain. Yeah. And then Manchester. obviously they split up and it was the biggest thing. And then they were gone for, I don't know, 10 years. And then they reformed and came back. And one of them said that. He said, I'm so happy we get to do it again because this time I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to be in these moments and meet these people. You know, it's so good that they get that chance, you know. To slightly change the subject, Will, just because yeah. we could talk to you for 25 years and not not be able to mine into everything that we really want to ask you. But I, I'm, I have to ask you because it's such, it's such an important movie in my life. And, and Billy and I get asked all the time when we, were, when we were making rings, did we know that it was special and did we have a feeling on set that something special was happening? Could you just speak a little bit about how you felt making Stand By Me? And, and did it feel like you were kind of catching lightning in a bottle a little bit. It did, absolutely. Um, but I, I have to put that into a lot of context and really qualify it, and you'll understand in a second. I turned 13 during production. I had done, a, I'd done one movie to that point in my career, and I'd done a few TV movies, some good work, but very small in those days. Those, those, that work did not have a life beyond maybe one rerun uh, or, or maybe it got into syndication, but they generally just, they were gone. So Stand By Me came along and I thought no one would make a movie if it wasn't going to be good. I just, with that, just beautiful ignorance of youth. Just thinking, why would anyone waste the time and money to make a bad movie? That doesn't make any sense. Um, but something about Stand By Me felt, felt special from the very beginning. And I don't know, I, I can't say, oh, it was this. It was just something in the air. It was just something that, it was an energy that existed among all of us that Nobody could see, but everybody could feel, and nobody could describe, but everyone knew was there. Mm. And um, I remember thinking, "Oh, this is a this is such a good movie. Mm. This is such a good story, and people are going to really love this." I did not have any idea it would become one of those kind of generational films. Mm. I did not expect it to be one of those movies that's probably going to end up in when they do those like you know 100 greatest movies of the yeah. 20th century like there's a non-zero chance stand by me's on that list and i say that knowing what it's up against mm -hmm. i felt like i was doing good work that mattered i felt like 
Rob Reiner really wanted me there on his set. Mm. And in my personal life, in my personal story, um, I lived in a home where I was the scapegoat in a dysfunctional family. The man who's my father made it real clear that he didn't like me and certainly didn't love me, but really loved and worshipped my younger brother. Um, I had a mom who really only saw me as a tool to be used to find success in the industry. Um, and she made me believe that being an actor was my idea, and it wasn't. Uh -huh. And when I was on the set at, in, in Stand By Me, for the first time in my entire life, I had a father figure in Rob Reiner making me feel loved, and I never felt that. And I think one of the reasons Gordy's performance is what it is, that Gordy touches people the way he does, that people feel connected to him the way they do, is I was that little boy. I was invisible in my home. I was a scapegoat. I was dying to be seen. Um, uh, uh, there is no doubt in my mind that if my father had to choose one of his kids to be killed in a Jeep accident, it would not be my brother. It would absolutely be me. Like, I, I know these things and I felt it all. But because I was 12 turning 13, I wasn't consciously aware of it. And I really believed that I was just being a really good actor. I didn't understand that I was accessing real emotions and real experiences and using them to give life to the script. I didn't get that. I get it now. And yeah, you know, yeah. after studying and all that, I understand all of it. And it's why I learned that, oh, I can do all of that while I'm being a writer. And like, and that's like, that's great. I don't need to, I don't need to go be on screen anymore. I can do it as a writer and as a, as a creator. Um, cool. I'm going to do that now. Um, but when I was on set for Stand By Me, it was, it was the best. Every day was great. It was wonderful. It, we had so much fun. Um, we were making work that we were proud of. We all felt loved. Everybody was kind. Um, Jerry O'Connell talked about being scared to death of Kiefer Sutherland, and I don't remember him that way at all. I remember him as a, a very sweet man who I took seriously as an actor, but that I wasn't like really afraid of the way the way Jerry talks about it. Um, I had incredibly fun times going to the Aladdin's Castle video arcade across the street from the hotel. I figured out how we could get free games on the Burger Time machine in our hotel, uh, in the hotel pool. And like, I had a really, <laughs> really fun time uh, like doing that. It was a great summer and it's a great movie and yeah. I'm grateful for it and I'm proud of it. And um, man, the number of people I have heard from in the last 20 years that share with me why it matters to them, why it is important to them. Yeah. It just, it's a real gift. And I know you guys get it with people from the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy. I sure. know that you get it. I, I'm one of those people. And I like, I, it's, you know what it's like when someone says, listen, I know that I'm just, a, I'm a guy, but like you did a thing and it really matters to me. And I don't expect you to care about it the way I do, but thank you for that. Yeah, I've been on yeah. both. I've been on both sides of that. Yeah, yeah, I feel you, man. And, and, I mean, and and like, I work real hard when I'm on this particular side of it yeah. to really honor it in the person who's on the other side of it because yeah. there's nothing worse than being dismissed when you're like when you're we're on the when you're on that other side. Yeah, you've opened up to tell someone. Someone over this weekend here at a convention wrote a beautiful letter 
basically, I think he must have gave one to all of us. But I just read it this morning when I was getting ready. And uh, it's just so beautiful how people can be touched by that kind of work. And it just it just reminds you, doesn't it, that how blessed you are, but also, you know, to be very careful with, you know, how you talk to people and, and you know, the to be kind to people. Behind and stuff. I wanted to be an actor probably from the age of, I think, I think probably nine or ten I started to get really interested in it, Will. And yeah, so I was studying a lot of child performers at, around about my age. And the formative films that I did there was Henry Thomas in E.T. And I would learn chunks of his monologue and the things that you guys did in Stand By Me. I would spend time in a mirror trying to understand what you had been able to capture in the scene where you go and buy supplies in the store and the shopkeeper says, hey, you're, you're the little brother of the American football star guy, right? And you, you have this confused thing of like, God, I'm always reminded of my brother's death and I'm just here to buy stuff, man. Leave me alone and the pressures of the world. And I, I remember thinking... How is he able to do this? All he's doing is walking around a store and picking up a, a can here and a bottle of pop here and a candy bar. But somehow the Gordy character is always so heavy. You know, the, the way that you captured that, maybe you were living a little bit of that real life, Will. And then just to find, and I, I want to hear what you say about this, but just to finally just say this little thing about Stand By Me and, and great films that kind of have these crossover moments. It's, it's, it, it does this, they can sometimes do this like transcendent thing where you can't fully understand what they've captured. But when I think about Stand By Me Now and that, that monologue at the end that Dreyfus does where he says, I never had friends like that again when I was tw back when I was 12, 12 years old. Christ, you know, does anyone have friends like that? And I, I absolutely know what he means. The intensity, the profundity, the connection of those Friendships in Stand By Me is one of the greatest examples of the intensity of friendships at that age. It's, it's an incredible film. Those friendships are so important because they're carrying you from childhood to adolescence mm. and, and, and moving you from like moving you from there into uh, into that place where your personality is going to really start to form. It's it's um, uh, I. So I watched Stand By Me as a kid, and then I watched it as an adult with my own kids. I feel like it's a different movie when you're an adult than it is when you're a kid. Did you have a similar experience? Did you notice that? That it, that it changed? Yeah, I mean, I think as a kid, there was a kind of gleeful joy in some of the gross-out humor, in some of the, yeah. in the teasing, in, in the camaraderie between the friends, the running on the train track. But I didn't pick up quite as much on some of the sophisticated nuances until I became an adult, for sure. Yeah, when I noticed that, it, I, 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 it was weird. It was so, I, I stopped seeing me um, and I stopped judging my performance, which is just a thing that I did. Um, that scene in, in, uh, in, the, in the deli, um, uh, uh, it's interesting to me that, um, uh, that that made a lasting impression on you. That scene might be the realist uh, of mine in, in the entire movie because what Gordy is sort of feeling 
and kind of reflecting back to that man is like, why can't I, why does everybody have to see me as Denny's brother? I don't understand why I'm not, like, why am I not enough? Why am I defined through him? And that was my life. I was defined through how much attention I was getting by being an actor. Um, uh, and then that only, that got, that got real, that got worse when all the teen magazine stuff started. Um, uh, that, that started after Stand By Me, but when we were filming Stand By Me, that was really me. I, that was exactly how I felt. Um, and, and, um, like, if it matters, I'm actually really happy for you and really happy for nine-year-old you that you didn't know what was going on there. It means that you had, weren't, that you didn't have, that you weren't, it just means that you lived in a different emotional space than I did. I don't know if there's a child who has enough experience and intellectual development to break that down and understand. Gordy wants to be seen here. And so he responds like this, mm. right? I, I feel like, you just put a kid there who feels that way. That is like 99% of, of Stand By Me is the casting. Is mm -hmm. Rob just finding all of us who were exactly these people and letting us just breathe life into the characters. So you, uh, to move on from there now, uh, so you, you say now you like to take those kind of experiences and, uh, you know, everything and, and be more into your writing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, first off, you've got a new book, right? I do. Well, tell us about that. Yeah. I have a book out now. It's, an, it's a memoir called Still Just a Geek. Yeah. Um, it's the annotated version of a memoir I wrote in 2004, which uh, started uh, as a collection of blog posts in the very early 2000s. Um, uh, blogging was brand new and kind of novel, and I was for the first time in my life, just able to kind of speak on my own behalf and have my voice heard. There was nobody shutting down my voice. Yeah, and yeah. I loved that. And I had a story to tell. I had things that I wanted to say. And uh, I said them on my blog and then uh, ended up putting them in, in a book that I think like fives, maybe tens of people read. Um, <laughs> but but they, they, they liked it. And a couple, uh, now two years ago, um, my editor, David Pomerico at Moro, reached out to me and uh, through my agent and said, listen, I liked this book when I read it about 20 years ago, and I wondered if you wanted to revisit it and reflect on it and annotate it with your, your responses as an almost 50-year-old to what you were talking and feeling and talking about and feeling as an almost 30-year-old. Right. Um, yeah. and, uh, and that's what it is. The first half of the book is that, and then the back half of the book is a series of notable speeches and essays um, that I've written over the last few years about everything from my life with mental illness to working on the Big Bang Theory and working on Star Trek uh, to being a dad um, and, uh, and, and sort of becoming a writer. Still just, that's another one to put on the shelf, Bills. We're, we're, we're lining up these books that we're going to be reading. It's great. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting one. And what an interesting life, Will. I mean, some of the things you've done, incredible, really, really incredible. And it's always great work. So what's next on the writing then? I have at least one solid work of fiction that is in 
the works right now. I don't know what's going to happen with it. I have another thing that I am unbelievably excited about that I can't wait to get to work on. I am just waiting for uh, the gigantic nameless media company to say, okay, go ahead and write that. It's all right. You can do it. Okay. Um, I'm really, really, really excited about that. And then I have a third one that at the moment is just a thing I want to write about that's just fun and interesting to me. I've been kind of noodling on it for a few months. I don't want to really talk about the specifics of it because I feel like if I yeah. do that, it kind of breaks the creative uh, yeah, process. Yeah, yeah. It sort of short circuits it. But those are the things that I'm doing uh, creatively. I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to uh, be able to split my time between um, working on these things that I want to write um, and working for the ready room uh, and do all that work in the Star Trek universe. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's really cool. My life is as good as it's ever been. How do people, how do people see the ready room? Where do you see that? We are on Paramount plus in North America. Um, it's generally on, I don't, so because it goes out to a global audience. Um, yeah. I know in America we're on Paramount plus and on the Paramount plus YouTube channel and on the Paramount plus, um, uh, Facebook page. Cool. Um, and then internationally, um, we're uh, generally in the same places where you would watch Star Trek Discovery or Star Trek Strange New Worlds or Star Trek Picard. Um, but uh, probably looking for Paramount Plus is the place to go. That's a good question that I need to have a better answer for. <laughs> I haven't been asking yet, but it's a really good question that I need to have a much better answer for. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> your, your your fiction that you have, Will, is, it, is the one that you, you're finished, is that a science fiction? Um, no, the thing that is that that I am that I am developing right now uh, is a little near future super dystopian science fiction. Nice. Uh, uh, that and that's still kind of in the outline process. This other thing um, is a semi autobiographical work of of, of fiction um, set in the summer of 1983, and it is uh, I'd say that I feel like it's about 78 percent done. Uh, cool. uh, just needs just needs some work, so. Um, when all of this settles down, I'm hopeful that my editor and I can can dig into it and and see what comes next. I would absolutely love to spend some more time in that world. The the time I spent with these characters in the first draft was really great and really fun. Um, right. So I'm hopeful that I can do it again. Um, and I guess you know we'll just see what happens with that. I don't know. And do you do you do do you take writing? Do you approach it like a job? Do you say, okay, it's 9 a.m., I'm going in, I'm going in to write? Or do you wait for, oh, I've got an idea? There's different phases of it, right? There's kind of like different, there's different stages. Um, and I'm, so once I know what it is, Mm-hmm. Once I know what uh, what the what the project is, I know what the assignment is. I know uh, what like what I have to do. I have an absolute schedule. I get up, I have the coffee. Um, Forty five minutes later, I go to work for three to five hours, um, right. uh, or like like anywhere between like two and and four thousand words, whichever I tend to get to first. Okay. During that time. I might do absolutely nothing except sit there and think about stuff or write things down and throw them away or get up and pace around the office or whatever. But that I absolutely consider work time. Then there's this other thing that and I don't know what the psychology of it is, but there's another there's a whole other thing where um, I really just need to, like, 
walk around the neighborhood. And it looks like I'm just walking around the neighborhood, but I, I promise you I'm not. I'm really working a lot in my head. And there are times where it looks like I'm playing the PlayStation and on some level I am, but I'm also really working on another thing in my head. And this is just a an activity that occupies some part of my brain that's kind of getting in the way. Okay. Um, so I definitely treat it like a job. I don't sit around and wait for inspiration to strike. I, that doesn't work for me. Yeah, um, yeah. I need the structure and, and I, and I enjoy the structure. Um, and, uh, and I, once I'm in that part where it's abs- abs- absolutely happening, then it's, uh, yeah, I get up and, uh, it's either the time limit or the word count limit, whichever I hit first. Nice. Have you, have you heard that? I don't know if either one of you have heard that thing that, um, Jerry Seinfeld talking about writing. Have you heard that that comment of his? Where making the X's on the calendar and keeping the chain from being broken. Yeah, yeah, that that one, and also yeah, that one's a great one. And he also <clears throat> he also talks about in his early days he would be sat around thinking about maybe writing a joke, but ultimately lose his sense of concentration and be watching a movie or watching TV or he'd go out and meet a friend. And he said one day he watched a whole bunch of workmen come down the street in the rain and go back to a set of scaffolds and start working on a house. And he had this light bulb moment where he was like, well, they don't want to go back to work. They don't like going back to work. They would rather not get rained on for the next five or six hours. So what am I doing? I'm in my apartment. It's warm. I'm comfortable, but I just can't be bothered applying myself. And he said from that point onwards, once he realized it was a writing day and not a day on set, he was like, okay, get up, 8.30, have my coffee, sit down at 9, work till 5. And I just love that little light bulb moment that you had. Yeah, there's, there's a little, there's like just a little, there's a thing where I just become accountable to myself. And, uh, and I think about, well, there's a whole, there's a whole thing in, in, the, in my new book about this idea. Uh, I wrote about doing something kind for future you. So. Future you is going to have to deal with some Taters. thing that you just did right now, right? Whether it's throwing the clothes on the floor or not loading the dishwasher or not taking the trash cans out or whatever it is, or, or like staying up too late or like having that drink you probably should really not have. But the, uh, but the drink you had before, it's like, you know, it would be a great idea is one more on me. Like, like we've all been in those places, right? So um, uh, I, I built in this idea of... Um, uh, doing something kind for future you. I'm doing this now so that me from the future just doesn't have to deal with it and does it like it's just not an issue for him and it's all like just all cleaned up and it's all taken care of. Um, and like I, I, I think of like going to work as a thing where me in the future is going to look back and go, mm, yeah, I did that work today. Oh, I feel so good. I have a hundred percent earned this game of Donkey Kong that I don't have to feel guilty about at all. Like, um, like I, I just, uh, I, I love that, that concept and, uh, and the idea of, of treating yourself as a person who you're going to like do a solid for. Um, I think that's great. Uh, I'm going to use that. That's brilliant. I had to trick myself into just being kind to myself. Yeah. And I found that if, if I was like, well, if I do it for myself, I'm just a selfish dick. But if I do it for that guy yeah. in the future, what a cool! I, 
Yeah, I'm a good person. You can just relax, watch an episode or something, yeah. have a nice yeah. time. Yeah, that's brilliant. I'm going to use that. Well, we should hang out a little bit because Billy will, Billy will attest to this. I am so kind to myself. I give myself treats all the time. I'm always eating oh. sweets. I have extra oh, glasses so of wine good. whenever I feel like it. I am. Yeah. I treat myself like a little princess. We should hang out. Oh, God, that sounds terrific. I would love that. I feel like we are two future dudes who really deserve just a really nice warm cup of tea yeah, in a quiet yeah. corner. Yeah, I love it's, it. it's kind of wild that the three of us have not actually spent some time with each other on the convention circuit because I'm sure, yeah. you know, over the years, Already? I'm sure you get a huge amount of attention on the convention circuit. And um, Billy and I and Sean... And Elijah are doing, is it six more conventions in the next year, Bills, or five? I think so, yeah. Five so hopefully we get a chance to see you, Will. Um, the odds are pretty good. The odds are good. I, 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 I took conventions off during the worst of the pandemic. Sure. And I'm sort of slowly reemerging and just kind of finding where I feel safe and comfortable and, and all of that. Yeah. But when things are kind of, you know, not extraordinary like they are right now, uh-huh. Um, I try to go between like four and six different shows every year Um, and uh, I absolutely love them. I've made so many wonderful friends in the performer community, just people who uh, uh, I just took a chance and just saying like, I like your work. You want to talk about stuff? (laughs) Um, And uh, I've made so many wonderful friends who like, you know, we kind of only see each other out on the road and it's just it's special. I really, I've come to really, really enjoy it. And it's one of those, uh, one of those things I tell the young Star Trek actors. I'm like, you know, if you work, uh, if you work hard to have kind of a family in your cast, like we did on Next Generation, um, you're never going to be alone for the rest of your life because you're going to get to go to cons if you want to. And you're going to go out and have dinner with your friends who you have been in, uh, involved with for 30 years. And it's just going to be great. Um, and like you do a little investing now and oh my God, it pays off. Um, and it's a, it's a really fun world. There was a time in my life where I felt like, um, uh, if I was, if I was doing cons and not like being a big actor that I was, I really had it in my head that I was a failure and, um, I'm sad that I ever felt that way. And I'm really sad that I ever put that on myself, um, because it's such an incredibly wonderful it's just safe environment to celebrate all the things we love yeah well well it's it's fascinating talking to you man billy and i always talk we always talk about guests on this show and what makes a perfect guest on this show and we're always looking for people that are talking from a place of passion and gratitude and positivity and you might be the most passionate grateful and uh wait what was the last one oh positive person that we've had on the guest so far. So thanks, man. Uh, thank you. That's, that's, that's extremely kind. I work on purpose to be the person I need in the world. And the person I need in the world is enthusiastic and kind um, and, uh, and compassionate. And I, I, work, I work real hard to be that guy. If you ever want to be kind enough to invite me and Dom round for a, a board game, just let us know. We'll come round. Uh, 100% that's happening. Let's do it. That'd be great. Hey, man. It was great chatting to you, Will. Thank you. This was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. It's great fun, Will. I can't believe it. It really is. You're a great guest. Thank you for coming on. Live long and prosper. <laughs>
Dom, Ooh. fantastic. Uh, isn't well, he lovely. Isn't he a brilliant guy? And I have to say, I'm going to take him up on this offer. He invited us over to his house to play board games. I would love to sit for an evening and have someone curate board games for me based on what my preference is. Like, oh, you don't really like it when it gets aggressive, okay? You like kind of fantasy. You like a lot of action. You like to kind of help out in groups and stuff. I want to do that. So fantastic! He, know, he knows what he's doing, and I, I like, I like. I mean, he's obviously done amazing work, Ooh. incredible work. But it's now morphed into this other thing where it's he's doing the work, but it's things that he really loves to do. Yeah. I, he's uh, he's inspiring. Now, as a Star Trek fan, because there's not a lot that I know about Star Trek. I know that uh, William Shatner was the, was Captain Kirk in the first one, and well then Patrick Stewart in in a New Generation. Well done. So Will Wheaton's in a new generation. The next generation. The next generation. Excuse me. Is he a human? Is he an alien? What's he's, the vibe? He's human. Very, very smart young man. Mm -hmm. The doctor's son. And uh, he's only in the first Bones. few. <laughs> no, a different Bones. doctor. Okay. Damn it, It's <laughs> quite magician. good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but from what I hear, yeah. and I don't think this is a secret. I think it, this is not. We'll blurt it out and we'll find out later. I think he's in the new show Picard. Ah. I think he pops up in that ah. as um, uh, his character from The Next Generation. Was his character in The Next Generation fundamental in creating certain things that move forward in the Star Trek thing, you know, like technologies and stuff? We all are. <laughs> that was the one. And also, I mean, Will Wheaton in one of my favorite childhood films of all time, Stand By Me. Yeah. Amazing performance. And it's amazing to hear about his journey in life and how that colored his work in Stand By Me. What a lovely man. Hey guys, we are off. Remember, we're doing a live podcast in Orlando, Florida. We'd love it to come. Tickets are on sale, as Billy said, at the website. And uh, FanExpoHQ.com. You can find it from there. Just look for the Friendship Onion. And we'll see you next week. Fantastic. Don't forget to send your emails. TheFriendshipOnion at cast.com. See ya. See ya. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.